Hey there, friends. A quick note before we dive in. This episode contains commentary around birth control, pregnancy, menstruation, motherhood, and other dialogue around reproduction. If that doesn't sound like a good fit for you right now, I recommend skipping this one. I stopped taking the pill in May. Yeah, that pill. Isn't it odd that no one asks for clarification when you're talking about the pill? Anytime I've needed to share my medication regimen with a provider, not a single one has needed extra context to know exactly which pill I'm talking about. Few things in life have this linguistic power. I suppose if you live in a small town and say you're going to the store or the post office, and there's only one of those things, then sure. It's kind of amazing with the juggernaut that is the pharmaceutical industry that when we say the pill, we're still referring to one specific product. The pill has been a household name since 1960. According to the History of Oral Conception in the AMA Journal of Ethics, within two years of its initial distribution, 1.2 million Americans were using the pill. Since its introduction, more than 300 million worldwide have used the pill as a relatively simple, safe, and effective means of achieving reproductive freedom. Thus, many observers consider the pill to be one of the most socially significant advances in modern medicine. I was 11 years old when I got my period for the first time. I was at vacation Bible school at my church, and I remember my stomach hurting something fierce, like a really bad stomach ache mixed with a new kind of hurt. I went to the bathroom and knew exactly what was happening. My mom and school had educated me fairly well that this was an eventual expectation, a happening, an event. My mom gets all the gold stars for helping me feel confident during this time of change in my young life. She bought me pads, showed me how to insert a tampon, washed my bloodstained sheets when I'd soaked through them the night before and wiped my tears when the cramping and pain were too much to bear. Eleven seems so young when I think about it now. I wasn't even in middle school. It was difficult being an early developer. I had body hair and grew boobs and had my period earlier than most of my peers. And while my mom helped me to refocus my shame into acceptance, there was always a lingering feeling that things were happening too fast. My periods were miserable. It seemed like there weren't enough menstruation products in the world to keep things contained. I remember a friend of mine shared that she wasn't allowed to use tampons, and all I could think is that tampons were one of the only things keeping me sane that helped me to feel a little more normal and comfortable when going to class or swimming in the pool to keep the icky stuff inside. I was violently ill every single month. I vomited in the school bathroom more times than I can count. One of the more frustrating parts of this experience is that my body was so freaking consistent. I never missed a period. Never. Each month I'd be back in hell, convinced I was cursed. It was like I was living my own version of the horror movie 28 days later. Some menstruating folks experience inconsistencies in periods due to diet, stress, or other factors. Mine was like clockwork. I never got a reprieve. Until the pill, that is.
I'm Danielle, and you're listening to This Is Not The Prologue, meaningful thoughts that don't matter. I started taking the pill when I was 16, five years after starting this whole period business. I remember the process being relatively easy. The promise of lighter flows and less pain was an answer to my prayers. I thought I misheard my doctor when she said I could even skip my period if I wanted. All I had to do was skip the placebo week of pills and go right on to the next batch. This would trick my body into not having a period as I'd maintain the hormones without a break. This terrified me. As much as I hated having a period, the idea of not having one seemed like a test of the menstruation fates, like my blood was some kind of sacrifice, and if it didn't happen every month, I'd be indebted to an unforeseen period god. I love the pill. I guess I can say I'm lucky that my body responded to it so positively. I've heard stories and witnessed trauma from many of my close friends who have struggled with finding a contraceptive product that works well for them. The pill and me, we got along swimmingly. My skin cleared up, my periods, when I chose to have them, only lasted a few days. I swapped my green-colored super tampons for yellow regulars and purple lights. I had minimal cramping and was no longer hunched over the toilet, praying for the curse to be lifted. When I stopped taking the pill a few months ago, I had been taking it for 16 years. 16. Half my life. It was strange to go to bed and not engage in the routine I adhered to for so many years. Pop the pill out of the packet, swallow with a sip of water. The mornings after I went to bed a little tipsy, or more so, I'd immediately grab my pill packet to see if I'd taken my pill the night before, feeling so proud that most nights my muscle memory took over, engaging in the routine of many nights prior. I stopped the pill as my husband and I are trying for a baby. I despise the verb trying in this context. Working toward or attempting don't seem quite right either. I've never been the person who wants to be a mother more than anything in the world. There was a long while in my life when I didn't want children at all. I've always been mesmerized by those who associate motherhood or parenthood with a calling. It's fascinating and beautiful. Even now, having a child feels like the right next step, but it still doesn't feel like this primal, desperate urge. We've only been trying for a few months, and I imagine this feeling will likely change, morph, shift. What feels like a when-it-happens-it-happens motive may sometimes soon transform into something more impatient, hungrier. With every month that passes by, I can hear the ticking of my biological clock louder now. Tick-tock. Tick-tock. Keeping the fears and insecurities and what-ifs at bay is easy now, but that journey may quickly pivot. I'm expecting to be thrown off course, to experience detours. And while I know that logically, I'm not sure how ready I am emotionally. Last month, my hair started falling out. I was on a virtual Teams meeting and I noticed my hairline looked a little different than usual. My hair slightly thinner. It then became more apparent in the shower when I washed my hair, pulling out gobs and gobs and gobs of hair, an amount 
so unbelievable, I audibly gasped under the hot water. After a few of these showers, I dreaded washing my hair. The physical act of shampooing didn't even feel the same anymore. My hair almost weightless, the texture fragile, the burning tears coming quickly. The shame of losing something down the drain that I didn't realize was so pivotal to my identity and personhood. It's just hair after all. Just hair. I immediately turned to Google to try to understand what was happening. Every article started with, don't panic. After enough of these don't panic sentiments, I was in full panic mode. It's fairly common to experience hair loss a few months after stopping hormonal birth control. And the good news is that the side effect should be temporary. Like most midnight medical research, this didn't ease my nerves. And what especially didn't help was the bombardment of hair products presented to me on Instagram in the weeks since. Every other ad, a hair serum this, a strengthening potion that. Most of the products have questionable reviews and must be used for at least three months to observe any noticeable change which is around the same time my hair should start growing back on its own if this side effect is truly temporary. And if I was a stronger person, maybe I could have resisted the temptation to let nature take its course and accept my current hair situation. But I couldn't. One evening, after a couple of glasses of rosé, I ordered one of these hair potions and have been dolloping rosemary-scented serum along my hairline for the last month. Weirdly, it feels good to be doing something, even if said something is a scam and one of the many examples of products preying upon women's fears and insecurities. A friend of mine once asked this icebreaker before a meeting, would you rather have to trade in your hair or your teeth, meaning your hair for a wig or your teeth for dentures? I didn't consider it longer than a moment. Oh, my hair for sure. I don't really even like my hair that much. I don't consider it one of my best features. I do, however, love my teeth and my smile. I feel a little sick thinking about that now. I feel guilty for feeling like I could part with my hair so easily. How naive I was of what was to come. How I would do anything now to keep my hair from piling up on every bathroom surface. TikTok. A couple of years ago, I asked my OBGYN what I needed to do to stop taking the pill when I was ready to try for a baby. Well, that's really all, she said. You can simply stop taking the pill and find a good prenatal. But am I going to be a different person? I asked hesitantly. She laughed. Of course not, Danielle. You're still going to be the same you. I don't feel like the same. Since stopping the pill, I have felt extreme fatigue, I've gained weight, I've broken out in places I haven't seen breakouts in years. I've had significant hair loss. My periods are back with a vengeance. The menstruation god demanding reparations long past due, having her way with me after years without sacrifice. I'm moody, I'm emotional, I cry more often big, weighty tears that drip down my face in dramatic storybook fashion. And I feel guilty. I feel bad complaining. This is the price of endurance. This is the transition I was supposed to be ready for. Most post-hormonal birth control symptoms, known as post-birth control syndrome, 
are lacking research, meaning they can be diminished or ignored as legitimate health concerns by mainstream providers. I feel like I should have seen this coming. I took a small round pill for half my life, then immediately stopped cold turkey. There was no reassuring conversation with my body or a plan to wean myself off. I did as my doctor suggested, to be left feeling like a shadow of myself. Yes, technically I'm still me, but not quite. CVS was pissed I stopped filling my prescription. They hounded me so frequently over text, Are you sure, Danielle, you don't need your birth control pills? That I caved the first month off it and had it delivered anyway. The 90-day supply is in my sock drawer. Not taunting me per se, but there's a strange remember when nostalgic pulse when I open the drawer to grab a pair. TikTok. I sense there's more transparency around pregnancy, infertility, and parenthood these days. I love this. We need these stories. We must welcome more light on the shadows of pain, suffering, fear, anxiety, depression, to coax these uncomfortable feelings and experiences out of their cave so we can rejoice in our honest, bare selves. I'd be remiss not to mention the privilege I've been afforded for access to birth control and familial support of my reproductive choices. The societal trends of less autonomy less choice, and less freedom is diabolical. I'm grateful to live in Oregon where in the year 2022, abortion is legal. And while I'm in a different place now of hoping for a child, this does nothing to minimize my support towards someone who has decided to terminate an unwanted pregnancy or who may come to that decision in the future. Bringing a child into the world is one of the purest, most beautiful, terrifying, miraculous, and frankly expensive things one can do. In the best cases, this new life happens out of love and freedom of choice. My state of the union, this transition from actively managing against pregnancy to accepting it, wanting it. This state before the real fertility stuff even kicks in. This brief moment in time where I'm shedding the old Danielle for a new one. Or maybe finding the real me after all. Thank you for listening to This Is Not The Prologue. You were here and now you have other things to do. We are halfway through volume one, and I'm so grateful for your listening ears and your support of the show. There's lots of good stuff to come, so be sure to stick around. See you in two weeks. Take care out there.